cost my boss $12,000. I either gotta get the money or take it out of your face. Oh, and his name's not James Bond. Billy Toppet, master magician. Ow! Maybe you can make me disappear. Wouldn't that be a good one? I'm kidding. That was a few fun moments from the delightful Lance Burton film, Billy Toffet, Master Magician. Hello, and welcome to episode 118 of the Occasional Film Podcast, the occasional companion podcast to the Fast Cheap Movie Thoughts blog. I'm the blog's editor, John Gaspard. In today's episode, my occasional co-host Jim Cunningham and I chat with world-renowned magician Lance Burton about his first venture into low-budget film production, the delightful comedy Billy Toppet, Master Magician. I love Billy Toppet. Both Jim and I did. Uh, and it reminded me of, I've, I've made a number of low-budget movies uh, in my life, about a half dozen of them. And the driving force behind them has almost always been, let's get together with some friends and make a movie. And I got the sense that that was kind of part of the DNA of Billy Toppet. Is that right? Well, yes. I just have to correct you on one thing. Billy Toppet was not a low-budget movie. It was a no-budget movie. <laughs> <laughs> we we literally just decided, you know, I'm not going to spend any money. Everyone volunteered. So if, if it ever makes any money, I'll go back and pay the actors. And well, the okay. But as someone who has done the same thing you've done a half dozen times with no money, the results you got given the no money status, your sound is exceptional, which is one of the things that's normally a big sign that it's a low budget movie is the sound's not good. You have the recording of the voices is, I know it sounds mundane, but it's like, it's a hard thing to get right. And when you do yeah. get it right, it makes it sound like a big budget movie. The uh, The cinematography is terrific. The editing is fantastic. I don't know if, if you were, if you bought the music or if someone did the music, but whatever it was, it fit perfectly and it just sailed along. So for a movie that had no budget, you did an exceptional job of making a real movie. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're, but you know, you're right. The sound is the one thing you really don't want to on because that's something you really can't fix in post a lot of the times. So we did try to pay attention to, to the sound recording. And as far as the music goes, some of the music was from my show that I already owned, some of the performance pieces. Yeah. Some of the music we used just for the movie, and, and that was rights-free music that, that I got from a company called Digital Juice. Mm -hmm. And they have all different sorts of music and, and it's searchable. So you can find, you know, rock and roll, hard driving music. You can find, you know, instrumentals. You really, they have everything. And so, uh, and then there was a couple of pieces that a friend of mine, who's a musician, wrote and recorded for me. And one of the pieces in the in the film, uh, my lead actress, uh, Joelle Rigetti, she had actually recorded an album a couple of years ago. And she gave me the album during the production and said, hey, anything on here you want, you're welcome to use. And I listened to it and there was one track. I went, ah, this is perfect for this one scene I have. And it's the, it's the scene where uh, the whole cast is waking up on the second day, brushing their teeth and getting mm -hmm. ready to go out. And and that's actually the lead actress singing. The stuff you picked all really meshed well together. Oh, thank you. And, and it was during the post-production process 
when I really, it really struck me as we were editing and, and doing that, how much the music adds to a product, not just a live show. I already knew that for a live show, but as I was making the film, it really just struck me again, you know, wow, music really does add a whole new dimension to, to uh, the movie or a live show. Yeah. So where did, where did the idea for the movie come from? Well, I'll tell you exactly where it came from. When I was a kid, there was a television series on TV uh, called The Magician, starring Bill Bixby. And now it only lasted one season because the network got a new president that came in and he just, you know, canceled all his predecessor shows. But it actually did good in the ratings. But it only lasted 22 episodes. And the magic consultant on The Magician was Mark Wilson. And when I and so when I moved out west, I met Mark Wilson and became friends with him. And then when I did in 1985, when I was shooting Knight Rider, guess who they hired to provide all of the large illusions and props for the episode? Mark Wilson. And he was he was the sort of the magic advisor on on that television show. So Mark and I got to hang out for seven days on the set as we were shooting. And he's actually in the episode. You can see you can see shots of him. He's sitting in the audience during one of the opening performances that. And in fact, I get him up on stage at one point as a as a volunteer. So anyway, one day. After filming, Mark and I are going out to dinner and we're in his car and we're driving along. And he says to me, Lance, how do you like doing this work? And I said, what do you mean, Mark? You mean th like this episode? He says, yeah. How do you like, you know, acting on this, this TV show? And I said, oh, I'm having the time of my life. I get to do magic. I get to act. I get to work with a stuntman. This is, this is great. And he says, well, you're doing a good job and you ought to think about doing more of this. And I said, more of this, what do you, what do you mean? He says, you ought to start uh, a notebook, start keeping some ideas of how you could incorporate your magic into a TV series or a, a movie, you know, like, like with the Bill Bixby series. And I thought, ah, oh, that's a good idea. So I did. I started writing every time I had an idea about how to use magic within the within the context of a drama series or a, you know, a story, I would write it down. So, so after a few years, I had all these sort of clever things that I came up with to use magic and propelling the story forward or to get out of a sticky situation or whatever. And every few years, I would pull that out and I'd go, you know, I'm going to try and go pitch this. And I would go to Los Angeles and set up some meetings and I would try to pitch to, to do a series every few years. And we got close a couple of times, but we never, never were able to sell it. But the area I was working in was so similar to things that would pop up on my TV screen later. I, I kept thinking, man, I've, I've got something here. I just, I just, I just need to like any kind of magic trick, you know, I get it in my head and it's frustrating. I just, I got to get it out. I got to put it on the stage because it's like in my brain, it's like scratching the inside of my skull and it's really annoying. By that time, uh, the technology had progressed to the point where we had these high definition cameras that weren't, you know, astronomically expensive. And we had editing software so that somebody on their laptop could put out a professional looking product. So I finally just said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I called my buddy, Michael Goudeau, and he came over and we, 
we fleshed out the story and uh, then we wrote the screenplay within uh, like two or three months. And then we, we eventually just started casting it and, and shot it. Uh, so <laughs> but it all goes back to Bill Bixby and the magician from 1973. Well, most things do. Most things do go back. That Were you always planning on directing? That, you know, directing and acting at the same time is really difficult. But I had been doing it all my life, you know, with my live show. And we started in on this thing. And then at some point, I heard an interview with Barbara Streisand. And someone asked her that question. And they said, is it difficult to act and direct in the same production? And she had a great response. She said, no, it's, it's easier that way. That's one less person I have to argue with. <laughs> She's right. That's, uh, so, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right. So, um, uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about how the movie uh, changed, you know, from your initial sort of uh, script or plotting and then through shooting and editing. Were there a lot of kind of, oh, let's do this. Oh, that didn't work. Well, here's I'll tell you what, when, when I first had the idea, I didn't I didn't have a real clear idea of the, the tone I wanted to take. You know, as far as I it could have been a it could have been a drama, it could have been a comedy or whatever. But I started chatting with my buddy Michael Goudeau. Now Michael worked in my show as my mm -hmm. special guest star. We've been friends for you know since since the uh, mid '80s. And Michael said this was his idea, so I get him credit. He says we should write this as a family film. And I said, why is that? He says because I have two small children and. About two or three times a year, I have to take them to the movies and we have to pick a family film and they're always horrible. <laughs> and so I'd like to see a good family film, yeah. something good we can take the kids to see. And uh, I said, OK, that's fine. You know, that fits. Magic's always been considered a good uh, family entertainment. So we chose to write it as a family friendly movie and as a comedy. But I give credit to Michael for that. And it didn't alter that much once we had the script completed. The, the, the idea was, you know, to keep to the script as close as we can within reason. Now, there, right. there were some scenes that were improvised and there were some things that I added during the course of the movie. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that we added. The film starts with a dream sequence mm. with uh, Billy floating a lady in the air and then he wakes up in bed and, and you realize, oh, that was just a dream. He doesn't really have a big Las Vegas show. He's, he's a birthday party magician. And that was the first thing we shot. So as we were shooting, I read a book by Robert Rodriguez about his experience shooting mm -hmm. El Mariachi. And that was that was recommended to me by Rory Johnston, who played the, the bad guy in my movie. And when I explained to Rory what we were going to do, he said, oh, you're, you're doing like a no budget movie like Robert Rodriguez. And I said, who's Robert Rodriguez? He said, oh, he's this director. He started out by making this movie called El Mariachi. He had seven thousand dollars. That was it. And he made a whole film. And so I I bought the DVD to watch. I wanted to see what a seven thousand dollar movie looked like. And then I read his book and he had some really interesting advice and thoughts and he was talking about the the power of three and which magicians will do also where, where you'll have a callback or something keeps popping back up and it happens three times and in el mariachi there's like this sort of dream sequence but it happens three times and i started thinking ah oh, that's 
he's got a really good point there. So I started thinking, where else could I insert? I need two more dream sequences and I got to find a place to insert them. So we wrote uh, two more dream sequences and found the right place to put them. And, and we shot that. But that kind of happened once we started once we started shooting. You know, John, as he's mentioned, has shot some uh, low budget movies here and they're populated largely by friends of John. Um, and I get the sense that, you know, in watching your movie, that these people are all your buddies, that they're that, <laughs> that you just tap yeah. all your pals and say, exactly it together. And it's exactly. So much to see. But are, are, so is everybody in the movie? Uh, you didn't cast this. I mean, it, 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 these are all your friends. Oh, yeah. They're all my friends. The only time there were people in their movie really that I didn't know up until that point was was you know, like extras in the restaurant, you know, we would just ask people, do you have any friends that you can come over and be background actors? And, and a lot of them are my friends. And like the birthday party scene, those kids, those are all kids of friends. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you got kids, bring them over to, to my stage manager's house. It really looks like you guys are having fun. Throughout the throughout the whole movie, it is. I don't mean to denigrate it in any way. It's a really goofy movie. It it is surprisingly silly in a really it's, fun fun way. It's a silly it's a silly movie, and a lot of that stuff. Also, I have to you know, Michael Goudeau is uh, everybody loves Michael and loves his comedy, and kids especially love him. So that's we wanted to go for something. For instance, when we were writing the the date scene. You know, that was a silly scene. And they were doing the, the game with the, the milk, the little milk mm -hmm. containers. And, and Michael said, listen, when I take my kids to a movie, when it gets to the romantic, the date scene, they are bored. They are like, oh, they're falling asleep going, oh, when is this over? So let's beef this up with something silly. And I went, hey, great. That sounds great. So again, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff was just the purpose of the movie was to keep, keep everybody's interest. And that's probably something you've learned from being on stage forever is oh yeah feeling when the audience might be getting bored and being ahead of them yeah yeah you want to you don't want to get to that point you want to you want to keep it moving is your friend michael in the movie yes he is in the movie he's one of the jugglers okay yeah well, the the taller one or the shorter one the shorter one okay that's that's he he was my co-writer on the screenplay and also co-executive producer I just at the very end in the credits, there's some very clever, funny little teases about the possibility. Of a sequel. <laughs> and uh, and it, I was sort of like, gosh, I hope there is a sequel because this is kind of this could be a series. <laughs> yeah. uh, is there talk of that? Of you doing and, another and, one? And I will say, yeah. I'm going to speak for my uh, my podcast partner here. We are standing by, ready to help you if you want to do yes, a sequel. Absolutely, yeah. I drop everything. Really. Billy Toppet Part Two: The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Billy Toppet Part Two: The Search for Spock. <laughs> I tell you, that was just me on on this computer, by the way, that I'm talking to you on, getting at the end of the editing process and doing the credits, and it's just and just going, oh, this will be funny. <laughs> just me, just me, just making up making up silly stuff. And. And the, the image of you doing that, of sitting on a computer and editing, do you have the filmmaking bug now? Are you going to, it doesn't have to be a sequel to Billy Toppet, but. I, I've enjoyed, I enjoyed, uh, here's, here's, here's the thing that I enjoyed the most on the whole process was learning to edit. Uh, my good buddy, Bob Massey was our director of photographer and our editor. But 
in the process of editing, I would go over to his house and we would work on it. And then he'd have to go do something. I was like, ah, do we have to stop? And he said, one day he said, you know, I can, I can give you the software. I, I bought this and I, I can put it on two computers legally. So if you want to, I'll show you how I went. Yeah. So I went out, I bought this, this computer right here that I'm talking to you on. And I thought, okay, I got my, I got my normal laptop. That's for my everyday stuff. And this is going to be my editing laptop. And I put the stuff on and I started to learn how to, to edit. And Bob was there to help me, show me. I really loved it. I really, really loved the process. And a lot of it is very similar to magic. I'll give you a good example of that. There's a scene at the end of the movie where the, they've opened the big show and uh, I do the sawing, uh, sawing a couple into eight pieces. So we got the two, the boy and the girl, and they get sawed up and they come out of the boxes at the end and the, the boy's wearing the girl's clothes and, the, and, and they chase each other off stage. And then they run past the camera. And then the second shot, you see them run into view in the wings. And then they have a scene in the wings. Well, we shot the, the first part with the, doing the trick and then running past the camera. We shot that at the Monte Carlo Hotel in 2010. And then the, the scene in the wings we shot in 2013 on the other side of town at uh, Rory Johnson's church that he went to. And they allowed us to shoot there. So the two scenes that are supposed to be at the same time were shot three years apart, different yeah. locations. And as we were shooting the first one, I knew in my mind what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted them to run past the camera and then I would pick it up. And the rest of the cast hadn't even been cast yet, by the way. I didn't even know who the other actors were going to be, but I knew there was a scene over there. So as they run past, I'll pick it up whenever we get to that. Three years later, we shoot the thing. Now I'm editing it together. So now I take the music from the first part of the shot that's playing during the trick and the audience reaction. Mm -hmm. You get the audience applauding and cheering and they run past the camera we go to the second shot but you still hear the audio you still yeah. hear the music playing and you hear me out on stage going thank you and the audience applauding and so now when you put it all together it's like it's seamless no one yep. no one knows yep. that, that those were shot three years apart it's 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 like a magic trick it's it's an illusion there's a good example of how the sound helps enhance the illusion yep and and there are a few there are a few magic tricks that we do on stage that sound is a very big part of the illusion. You know, you uh, I don't know at what point in the process you read Robert Rodriguez's book, but he you know he based El Mariachi on what he had available. He wrote yes. the script based on the town, the bar, yes. the tortoise, the dog, all of that. Yeah. Um, you seem to have done a very similar thing in that yes. you had. Yes. I'm guessing you already had some footage you on stage, or was it a relatively easy thing to get for an average person? That's a really hard thing to get, but exactly. for you, that would be exactly. And I had to and I had to shoot all that before the show closed because the show right. we were getting ready to close the show. So we captured all of that, all the stuff that had to be shot in the in the theater. We captured that. But for the average person writing right. a script to have written that scene, you go, well, you can't shoot that. I mean, well, of course, the lights alone in the ceiling are a million but times I, more than your budget. But I and I was well aware that I had this, you know, I had this opportunity that we'd written it into the script. And it's like, OK, I got to shoot this now, because if I wait another two months, it's all going to be gone. 
Exactly. And I felt the same with the the scenes in the casino, which would be, I think, normally a difficult thing to do, but you obviously had a relationship and we're able to make those happen. The casino scenes, those were all shot afterwards. That was my buddy, John Woodrum, who, who, who owned this little casino called the Klondike. I talked to several, we wanted it to be a locals type casino. And I talked to a few of the casinos and some of them were were like, yeah, we'd let you come in here and shoot. We have a coffee shop. How how many days do you need it? How how much? And I'm like going to myself, I don't know how long this is going to take to shoot. I've never shot a movie before. And then finally I went over to see my buddy, John, and I said, John, I've got this movie I'm shooting and it takes place, some of the action takes place in the casino and there's a coffee shop and you've got a coffee shop. And what would you think about us shooting here? And, you're, and, he, and he looks at me and says, yeah, whatever you want. Come on in. I was like, what? That's what Come you need. In. Anytime. It's like, okay, I found, our, I found our location. You you are a low budget filmmaker at heart. You got all the tricks that are necessary to be good at this. And you did it on your first movie. That's that's exceptional. It was a fun process. And it, it, it's not dissimilar to shooting a, a, a television special or a TV show, but it is a little different. There's, there's obviously magic in it, but you know, there's mm-hmm. also the whole, the second element of the story and, and doing the scene and the acting and getting all the actors uh, all on the same page. And speaking of the actors in order, uh, I was thrilled to see our friend Louis Anderson uh, <sighs> yes. in there. He was a twin cities guy who I knew back when he was here. And I had the good fortune of working with him a couple of times in the corporate arena and to see Johnny Thompson, obviously yeah. having so much fun. Uh, it was just great. And then to see uh, Mac, kind of turn up uh i don't want to spoil it but he does turn up mac mac turns up there near the end of the film it was great fun being able to work with johnny to be able to direct your mentor is a really special thing and that was just so much fun working with johnny and he was just so so good uh, in in this role. And well, he's such a good he was such a good actor. He yes. really had that ability to to turn it on. And Pam too. Pam. Oh yeah, uh, Pam was in there as well. It was just so much fun to see them just pop up like that. Uh, a delight. The whole thing was from start to finish uh, a delight. I watched it by myself after my wife went to bed, and I just was giggling through the whole thing. <laughs> Thank you. Here's my favorite story from the whole process. I had this idea to do the trick with the the tele on the telephone, uh, the wizard that that anybody that is an amateur magician you know knows the trick. Well, uh, when Michael and I were coming up with a storyline, I had this idea of using the wizard as as part of the kidnapping theme to, to find out where the assistant was being held. And in order to do that, you know, of course, I had to show what the wizard was and sort of. So my idea was the reason I wanted to include that was I wanted kids especially to be able to watch the movie and then after the movie, take something away. I wanted them to be able to perform the wizard for their friends. And after we had our premiere, my my wardrobe lady from from the Monte Carlo, and she also uh, did wardrobe on the movie. She called me like a week later. Her and her husband, uh, her her stepdaughter, who was in like junior high school at that time, uh, she called to tell me that that the little girl had gone to school the next day and had performed the wizard for her friends. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, yes, yes. Touchdown. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. That's exactly what I wanted. I wanted kids to go and actually perform a magic trick for their friends. 
But I really liked how you then turned it around and used it as a plot device. So yes. it wasn't just a sort of a throwaway. It sort yeah. of was like, oh, well, that, that dovetails so nicely into it's the whole in, story. It's integral to the story. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And those are those are especially the kind of things I like with uh, magic in uh, movies or TV shows, you know, where you can take something and. And, and bring it back in later in a practical, use it as a practical device. Thanks to Lance Burton for chatting with us, and special thanks to my occasional co-host, Jim Cunningham. Did you enjoy this interview? You can find lots more just like it on the Fast Cheap Movie Thoughts blog. Check out the link in the show notes. Plus, more interviews can be found in my books, Fast, Cheap, and Under Control, Lessons Learned from the Greatest Low-Budget Movies of All Time, and its companion book of interviews with screenwriters called Fast, Cheap, and Written That Way. Both books can be found on Amazon or wherever you get your books. And while you're there, check out my mystery series of novels about magician Eli Marks and the scrapes he gets into. The entire series, starting with The Ambitious Card, can be found on Amazon in paperback, hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats. And if you haven't done it already, check out the podcast companion to the books. Behind the page, the Eli Marks Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's it for episode 118 of the Occasional Film Podcast, which was produced at Grass Lake Studios. Original music composed and performed by Andy Morantz. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you occasionally. <laughs>